This is KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM, and I am truly, truly honored today to have with me in the studio Karim El Miski. That's how we would say it in Arabic. And in French, Karim, how mm-hmm. do you pronounce it? Uh, Karim Miske. Miske from yeah. Al Misk, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, well, however you say it, he is here at Stanford, and we are very lucky to have him. He's been here for, what, 10 days now? Can uh, well, three weeks, actually. Three weeks, mashallah. Yeah. First time at Stanford? Uh, second time, but the first time it was like for just two days. Wow. And how what did you think of our campus this trip? Well, it's great. It's uh, it's uh, it's huge, right. <laughs> first of all. So that's very impressive. Uh, you know, it's like a, a tone in itself. Uh, but it's really nice. People are really nice. And, uh, and I was lucky because the weather was great also. Right. The great Californian sun. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in addition to that, you, of course, have been very busy sort of um, talking about your new documentary. We need to really talk about this masterpiece you've done, Karim Miske. I don't know how you did it. But it's a three-part documentary, right? Uh, part one, part two, and part three that uh, has aired, among other places, at Al Jazeera. Mm-hmm. I'm going to turn it over to you, Karim, to explain to us what this documentary is and uh, perhaps take us through the journey of how you got around to doing it. Okay, so it's a documentary about the history of uh, the French Muslims, uh, but it's not in a religious point of view. It's more, uh, it's a real historical documentary, and I would describe it more as uh, the history of uh, the French colonial and post-colonial populations who happens to be in majority Muslims, uh, be them from North Africa, like Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia, or West Africa, Senegal, Mali, etc. And now there is this religious, uh, let's say, way of seeing uh, these people. But at the beginning of the century, they were called the natives, or sometimes the Kabyles, because most of them were coming from the region of Kabylia in Algeria. And then they became immigrants after the independence. So this is the second part of the three-part documentary. And then... Uh, they became French, which was really a surprise for the biggest part of the white French population because they never imagined that these former uh, colonized people would become a part of the French society. So it's, oh, that's also the the, the, the the main question, the main issue in this series. It's like how the face of France has been changed by its post-colonial population. So it's a three-part series and each one is titled a certain way, like part one... Uh, the Natives. The natives. Part two. Part two, immigrants. And part three. French. Wow. Did you set out to do a three-hour documentary, or was this a project that then continued to grow? Uh, it was, uh, I think the project took like a little bit more than one year, or maybe one year and a half uh, to do, uh, which is quite quick, actually. Right. Uh, but... Uh, you know, I was not alone. I was working also with a, a co-author. So it helped me also to move on quickly and uh, with people looking for the, the archive footage, etc. There, there was a whole... Well, that's what I like also about making films is that you are not alone. You work with a lot of people and I was working in a very professional, a very good production company uh, and it was for France Television who also has high, high standards. So it was very professional and we could move on quite quickly 
I would say. And you included so many people mm-hmm. who you were who you interviewed. I mean, some mostly in French, so you know, some of us had to rely on the subtitles. But I mean, just the massive amount of information we got from different people that you rounded up. I mean, how were these people chosen to come and represent or speak about their subject position? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a very interesting question. Uh, I decided to interview mainly. I mean apart from one person, uh, people of Muslim descent, which doesn't mean that they all define themselves as Muslims, because also the idea of the film was to really, uh, how could I say, historicize, <laughs> I would say, uh, uh, this uh, religious description of this community, which is not really a community. You know, France is quite different from, from uh, the US or English-speaking countries. Uh, and all, and uh, and I think that the Muslims or those who are called Muslims in France are as individualistic as the rest mm. of the French people. Uh, but it was int- important for me to have people who are, let's say, the product of this history uh, telling this history and not to have people talking for themselves you know uh, because it because because it had never been uh, been uh, made actually before so we interviewed like I don't know there is a woman who is um, uh, in the French Senate there are some historians sociologists uh, there is a, a script writer so yeah, uh, yeah really different kind of people but what was important for me was to have people who could really um have some some distance and at the same time described describe what they had been experiencing or living and also have let's say an analysis of the situation and also uh, who could uh, make the French uh, viewers understand how this history, which could seem specific, is the French history. So it's our history, our common history. Right. And so the, the original project was aiming at French audiences in order to kind of inform and discuss the situation of Muslims in France, not only today, but historically. But then it also was the Arabic version, mm-hmm. which then I think aired on Al Jazeera yes. Arabic. It was the, the same footage, right? It was the same it's program, the same film. but, but, but yeah. only with, a, with sort of a dubbing into a different language. Started in French, then... Uh, Arabic, right? And mm-hmm. then English. Yes, because it has also been aired on Al Jazeera English. And and we, we, we had a lot of feedback actually and I know that it had been it has really been seen in many many Arab countries and also uh, here in the US uh, by, uh, by by mainly by, uh, by uh, Arab people in the US because I know that for instance one person that I've been filming told me that he had been recognized by a taxi driver in New York because he had seen him on Al Jazeera Oh, really? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, uh, w- the reception of this same work, um, let's say in France, when, when it aired on mm-hmm. the French TV, mm-hmm. and it aired, what, over three nights or something? Yeah, part one, part two, uh, or what was it all in a, no, in a row? It was in a, in a row. MashaAllah, yeah. three-hour television program. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then, of course, then it aired in, in Arabic and then in English. I would like to compare the reaction that you've had by audiences, mm-hmm. let's say, in France, 
after having viewed this across the country mm-hmm. to perhaps some of the reactions you're getting here uh, in America. And I don't know if you've had any reaction from people sure. who have viewed it in the Arab world and their subject position in relation to uh, the portrayal of Muslims and the history of Muslims in France. Well, it's difficult to say, actually. In the U.S., I don't really know yet because, uh, well, it's been it's been here, it's been shown. The first two episodes have been shown uh, last week and, uh, and we will see uh, the, the third episode with a debate. But I know that many people were there and apparently they had good reactions. Uh, in the Arab world, I think that, first of all, people wanted to understand why uh, there was such a fuss specifically in France about this question of Islam and uh, and I think that was really the main uh, interest and it's also why Al Jazeera bought the film and uh, and and uh, and broadcast it so I don't really know if the film changed the the the, the, the I mean their view or their opinions you know uh, but I know that there was a huge uh, interest and a huge curiosity about this because uh, in the rest of the world it's very difficult to understand uh, all the questions of all the issues of uh, you know secularism what the French call laicite mm-hmm. which is very specific and very different very different from uh, of course what, what you have in the UK or in the US for instance the question of the headscarf etc uh, and I think that was really what uh, the Muslim uh, well, or the Arab audience was curious uh, about. And if I dare say, Karim, I mean, uh, as someone who grew up in the Middle East and in the Arab world, I found your documentary particularly enriching of my own identity, because I think uh, looking at it and looking at the work you've done, I did not realize how complicit perhaps the French government was in terms of uh, identifying or giving uh, some of these Muslim immigrants, especially from Algeria and such, a sense of belonging Belonging, while at the same time making sure they didn't belong. Uh, can you explain to us a little bit the way um, these communities were perhaps utilized or used by the French government, especially at wartime, mm-hmm. in order to advance the the uh, the cause of the French government, let's say, and people, without necessarily giving the people the same rights as a French citizen would have. Yes, and if we if we want to make a comparison, because I've just seen a very interesting uh, and very good uh, documentary on PBS about the First World War, it's a little bit like what happened here with the black soldiers. You know, uh, for instance, the Harlem Hellfighters, they went, yes. you know, uh, to, to, to fight and to die and to, and to become heroes in Europe. And then when they came back to the States, uh, they, they, they were lynched. Well, not all of them, but uh, they were really badly received uh, because people were afraid of them. And for France and for Britain also, uh, if you see what uh, what happened during uh, the history of colonization, they've been using these soldiers, so the the Arabs and the blacks for the the, the French, mainly the Indians for the for the British. And then, of course, these colonial uh, soldiers wanted to gain at least equality, if not yet independence. Mm. Uh, and the colonial uh, powers didn't want to grant them this uh, equality or, or independence. So, so, so it's really a Western phenomenon. Like, what do you do with people of color? You're okay to send them to die mm. for your, you know, um, for your walls and, uh, and 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 for you to remain an, uh, an international power. But then you don't want to give them anything. Mm. Actually, in France, uh, they they gave them one thing. 
which was very symbolic. It was the, the, the mosque of Paris, the mosque de Paris. Ah, which, which still exists today, of course. And yes. People can visit that exactly. in Paris. Do you know when that was founded? Came yes, in 1926. Mashallah, that's was, quite a while back. Yeah, so it was, uh, the, I think, the, 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 the beginning of the construction was in 1922. And it was explicitly uh, to thank uh, the sacrifice of the Muslim soldiers. Wow. So, so, so this was the thing that was given to them, but nothing to better their lives in the colonies, nothing to better their lives in uh, on the French soil, because at that time you had made around 100,000 Algerian workers, uh, Moroccan, Tunisian. There were not very, there, there were not many at that time. They came more after the Second World War. It was really at the beginning of the Algerian, because it's important also to understand that Algerian was a part. Of mainland France, I mean, on a legal point of view. Of the empire. Not of the empire. Uh, there were departments. It's like a, a constituency, uh, what you, you call here uh, a county. Mm. So, you know... the, the so Algeria was a county of France. Three counties. Oh, you had my Lord. Oran, Algiers, and uh, Constantine. Wow. So, the three main cities of Algeria was uh, what we call in France, in French, chef lieu de département. So, it was like the capital of a county. It was... A part of, of, of the French territory. It was not a, uh, really a colony. But inside of this département, the Algerians didn't have the same rights. Uh, the Muslims didn't have the same rights as the others. And also, there's one thing that's very important to know, is that uh, the Jews had uh, the French citizenship. But the Jews were also Algerian natives. Mm. When the French came, you, have, you had two religions in Algeria, Islam and Judaism. But uh, the French decided to give the French citizenship to the Jews and not to the Muslims, which also also led to a division. I'm not saying that the relationship between the two communities were perfect before, mm -hmm. but it's true. One thing is true is that they didn't get better after this. Right. So, so those Algerians, let's say at the time, did not have access to citizenship uh, in any way. There was no, no. path to to that. Um, not through marriage, not through... It was possible for a tiny minority, but if you wanted to become French, you had to abandon your, uh, let's say, um, you, you had to abandon uh, the Muslim law or mm. the Muslim way of uh, living. And some of them did, uh, but not many of them. Uh, and uh, the, there was no no equality of of any kind. So you were really second class citizens uh, for officially religious reasons. But actually, the fact was that it was inequality and in a in a big in a big way. Yeah, you, you've made reference, Karim, to you know the word secularism in France. It's uh, en français on dit laïcité, laïcité, which uh, in French I guess stands for secularism, but not necessarily the way we think of secular here in America and mm. the uh, separation of church and state or religion and state in America. And and I'm wondering, you know, one of the issues that we keep uh, getting asked about here at the Arabology Show has to do with the issue of the veil or the hijab mm -hmm. and the fact that, wow, France has outlawed the hijab in uh, public schools and mm -hmm. whatever, and that there is such a, you know, a, a lively debate going on about this. Is this oppressive? Is the hijab in itself an oppressive? tool 
or is it as oppressive to tell a woman what to wear as it is to tell her what not to wear? Yeah. I wonder if you've addressed any of that in the film or in your in the documentaries or in your work. And what is your own sort of informational aside <laughs> about uh, this issue? Uh, yes, of course we have addressed this in the in the documentary because uh, because it's an important part of uh, the histories of uh, of, uh, of, uh, of the Muslims uh, in France or of the immigrants at that time because the affaire du voile, as we say, so the the, the, the big fuss about the hijab was uh, began in ni- 1989, and and that's how things became really mixed and quite impossible to 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 clear up. Like, um, I mean, if if you don't mind, Karim, sorry to interrupt, mm-hmm. but I mean, to tell people, is the hijab outlawed anywhere in France or in in? public school no, only or you know what was the law exactly for Americans who seem to to kind of simplistically yes, yes, think yes. Uh, you can't wear the hijab in, in France at all no 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 it's not outlawed in France it's outlawed in the public schools either for the the, the, the the girls who go to school or for the teachers and also for any civil servant. Mm. So, for instance, if you are a civil servant woman, you're working in an administration, you want to wear the hijab, you cannot wear it at work. You can just wear it when you get out of your work. Uh, but in the streets, it's not forbidden. In the universities, it is not. But you have some hardcore secularists who would like to ban it even in the university. Mm. Uh, and now there has been also a scandal because... Uh, uh, there is a, a program called The Voice, oh, I think, yes. like here, you know. With Manal. Yeah. Menel, I guess. Menel, they, they say. They call her Arabic for Manal. Yeah. Which is, which is something we probably should talk about for a touch on in a minute. But I, I did want to say, Karim, that when we talk about this, it's not just uh, the hijab, but all sorts of symbols of religion, yes. right? Technically. Absolutely. The hijab, of course, like, you know, I'm, I'm an Arab Christian. I can mm-hmm. tuck my uh, cross in my shirt and nobody would know but mm-hmm. with the hijab because it's visible it's visible it puts these young women these French Muslim young women in a position where they have to choose between their religion and schooling or education mm-hmm. how how is that developing right now is it is there resistance to these kind of laws or have they pretty much become the status quo well I would say both actually I think people know that this is the law so and school is compulsory so until uh, you get 16 years old so if you are uh, under 16 uh, there are no uh, Muslim private school you can go either to the public school and you don't wear the hijab or if you really want to keep your hijab you can go to a Christian uh, private school so Christian private school will allow a girl to wear a hijab yes because it's a private school by nature, they are not going to say you're not Christian. So you got, wow. Yeah. That's quite interesting. Actually, I never thought of that. Because when I think of private school, I think, you know, maybe just a private boarding school or something. But, but the but, majority of the private schools in France are Catholic. Yeah. So, and they're more expensive. So obviously the, the, the tuition is going to be more and a lot of these Muslim young women will not be able to afford it. It's not very expensive, actually. It's because it's uh, they, they also get subsidies. Mm. Uh, it's a... So it's not the same system as here, but you, you, you have like, I mean, if you go by the program uh, of uh, the state and you accept uh, inspectors from the state, uh, you will get an agreement and then uh, you get subsidies from the, from the state, from the French state. And so the school is not very expensive. Yeah. It's not like a, you know, boarding school for rich people. Uh, so, so for these young girls, it is a possibility, and uh, and and some of them do that. Yeah, 
Yeah, although I, I can see the problematic aspect also of being in a Christian school if you come from a traditional Muslim family. It's not a, of, uh, funnily, it's not really a problem actually. Really? No, because the, the 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 Christians and especially the Christian congregations uh, in North Africa didn't necessarily have a bad image. They were not totally, you know, uh, assimilated with the colonial uh, for the population. They, they were not really, you know, you, you can have this image. Maybe it was a fantasy. I don't know, but of, you know, the good Catholic priests who could be close to the native population. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit more complicated. And also many Muslim families or North African families or, or, or West African families send, if they live uh, in a kind of uh, in a poor area, uh, they're going to also to send their children to Christian schools because uh, for them it's a better education. They won't become like drug dealers, etc. Uh, and, uh, and and also the level is better. So they prefer to pay. For instance, in Marseille, in the what we call the North, uh, North, North Quartier Nord in French, the North uh, area neighborhood, yes. yeah, of Marseille, where the majority of the population is uh, is North African. You can have in a Catholic school eighty percent of Muslims. Wow. That's amazing. I keep relating things, of course, to America, and I have to stop myself when I'm asking you questions and say, well, you know, just because maybe Christian fundamentalists in America seem to completely reject any kind of uh, autonomy for Muslims, especially with the, you know, the the environment today, that that is not necessarily the way Christianity is relating to Muslims in France. Not at all. And especially uh, the Catholic Church, Uh, even the Protestant, if it's not evangelical, they're not at all at war with Islam. They're much more, you know, also because of secularism, of laicity. Because of laicity, all the religions, in a way, are kind of, you know, trying to stick together to make a force uh, in front of the secular government, in, of the laic, of, of the France, uh, the laic uh, France. France. Yeah. yeah. Um, so b- b- before we go on to some of your other... Uh, and also, work. sorry, just one other thing. During colonization also, you had many uh, Catholic from the left wing who was who were fighting against colonization some of them for instance the, the, there was there was a, a book a, a magazine let's say uh, called the esprit uh, which condemned really uh, in strong terms uh, the french politics in algeria so you have some you know ancient connections uh, between uh, between part of the catholic uh, church and let's say north africans mm. before we go on to talk about you know some of your other works and i could speak with you for hours <laughs> Karim, uh you know including uh, the book um, arab jazz mm-hmm. which i would love to talk about you did mention the what did you call it the menel affair is that how they're referring to yes. it now and i have been following that but mm-hmm. i would love for you maybe to introduce from your point of view like what what exactly happened to our american audiences of course we don't get the voice france here of we course get the, the, the american <laughs> voice uh what happened well what happened menel uh, is a young woman of uh, Syrian descent. Uh, she uh, grew up in France and she wore not even a headscarf. It's more like a turban. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a know? turban. Yeah, like a turban. Uh, she's beautiful, you know, she's got blue eyes. So, you know, a young, beautiful Arab girl with blue eyes. So everybody can like her. And she's been singing in, in this uh, program a song uh, by Leonard Cohen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So by a Jewish composer. And it was in Arabic. So for her, it was really a song for unity, you know, etc. Uh, 
Sinatra, Love, Good Feelings. And what happened is that people were shocked, at least part of the audience was shocked, just because of this turban, because she was, you know, not like uh, a hidden Muslim. Mm. She was uh, coming here with her Muslim identity. And you have really people and, and, and a great number of people in France who really just cannot stand that. So they have been looking, uh, they, they have been trying to find what they could do against her. So they, they've been searching her Twitter feed mm -hmm. and she's a young girl and uh, she's, she, she had been writing some, uh, you know, um, uh, conspiracy uh, theories about terrorism, about some attacks uh, like uh, in Nice a few years ago. She was like, I don't know, 19 or something like this. Uh, and they said, oh, you know, she like supports terrorism, etc., etc. And mm -hmm. it was it was finished for her. And then the, the, the backlash was so violent that she finally quit. Yeah. And I think it's important to say that she decided to quit. She, yes. You know, I, I, I watched her video after she quit mm -hmm. saying, you know, I, I was here to spread a message of uh, peace. I'm thinking, you know, in Arabic yeah. and in French and in, 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 in English and yeah. trying to, uh, you know, uh, dispel stereotypes and bring peace. But if this is going to create hatred mm -hmm. uh, among people and increase the level of Islamophobia, then uh, she would rather quit. Um, but, uh, you know, when you tell me this about reactions by people i mean this is a tv show mm -hmm. don't they have muslims in tv shows in france are there any representations of muslims on tv mm -hmm. and if so why was her hijab or turban so problematic you know you have of course many uh, muslims so many 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 arab and black people in tv show because they are part of the of of the french population and because tv want also to 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 put to on yeah to represent they have to in a way because yeah. otherwise they want to you know and, and, and there is a problem of representation and we we also have like the Superior Council for TV and Radio uh, which is regularly telling the TV stations there are not enough representatives of the minorities on the air etc etc but she had a turban that's the problem the problem is not that her name is Menel. I mean, we have like uh, stars uh, in mm. France, uh, very well-known singers or stand-up comedians, etc., etc., who are Arabs. And it's not a problem. The problem is uh, the religious mm. visibility. So, the fact that she doesn't want to submit, she wants to go on TV exactly as she is. Mm. So these these celebrities you're talking about, whether, you know, I mean, I celebrated uh, people do not the women do not wear a hijab in no. the music industry. You Never. Know? And that's going to drag us into a whole other uh, dimension, which I don't want to take you to, Karim, uh, in terms of, you know, whether, uh, whether she also got a backlash by Muslims who kind of said, well, maybe uh, singing is haram in Islam. Yeah. So that the poor young lady, I think, was getting it from both sides, at least from she, reading the YouTube comments. Yeah. So, so I was thinking it's haram anyway, so she shouldn't be doing it. And then she was getting the Islamophobic comments That's as well. That's uh, what you call between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wherever she is. Uh, when I come back, I would love to talk about, uh, to Karim about this book that he has written. It is amazing. It's called Arab Jazz, and we'll do that in a moment. Okay, so five tacos, a cheese, and a large soda. That's $10,012. Please drive around. Wait, 10,000 what? It's obvious you're buzzed and driving. I've only had a few. I'm fine. Yeah, the food's 12 bucks, but getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Please drive around. 
Actually, just park and come in. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving. Because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. We are back right here on the Arbalji Show with the one and only Karim El Miske. I keep saying it in Arabic <laughs> because it sounds so pretty. Uh, Karim Miske of France, who, in addition to the documentary we've been talking about, the one that he has been presenting at Stanford and will be discussing again for part three uh, on campus, has written a book called Arab Jazz. I guess the the French version uh, originally appeared in 2012. Yes. And and then the translation in uh, 2015, 2016 into English. No Arabic translation yet, Karim. No, so I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit haram for an Arabic translation. We'll, we'll see. Uh, tell us what it's about, <laughs> and uh, we'll have to find you someone to tell you whether it's not going to be me. Uh, okay. What is the book about, and what was you know the, the reason for that pushed you to want to write this book? So the book is a, is a crime novel. Uh, it is set in the northeast of Paris, in uh, the 19e arrondissement, for those who know Paris, the 19th district of Paris. Uh, it's a little bit like a district like Brooklyn in, uh, in New York, you know, uh, because you have lots of populations that are interacting and also um, living side to side without uh, maybe too much, you know, caring for one another. Uh, so you have, uh, because it's, uh, it's at the beginning, it's, now it's gentrified. Well, it's slowly gentrifying, I would say. But you have still what we call in French, Cité. In the US, it's like a project, mm -hmm. you know, many projects, very big ones. Uh, and you find uh, West Indians there, uh, people from Martinique, Guadeloupe, from the French West Indies. You find people from uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, and you find, and, and, and this is what was interesting for me in the story, uh, lots of um, North African, both Muslims and Jews mm. coming from the same countries and all, around the same time. All in the same arrondissement. Exactly. Wow. Living side to side, you know. And so it is a, uh, ah, I don't know how to say it in English, in caisse de résonance. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, like, for instance, some, if something happens in the Middle East, uh, a new war, you know, between uh, the Israelis and the Palestinians, at once th there will be some consequences there. Mm, repercussions. Maybe. Repercussions, yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, and the people who get along quite well on a daily basis, Sometimes you have some tensions, etc. It's not exactly what I tell into the book, but it's just to explain mm. you. But that's the setting of the that's book. That's the setting. So the story, uh, there is a horrible crime because, well, sorry, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crime novel. So it begins with the crime of a very beautiful air hostess uh, who is found attached to her balcony and uh, she is covered with uh, pig blood. Mm. So the cops who are coming to begin, you know, to investigate, they wonder because there are many Jews and Muslims and not only ordinary Jews and Muslims, but Hasidic Jews and Salafi Muslims mm. in wow. this area. Wow. Okay. What a combo. <laughs> yeah, it is a combo indeed. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, uh, this is, uh, I mean, I was inspired. Well, I'm not going to give you all the details. It will take too much time. But I was inspired by a film that I had just made uh, when I began writing the book about neo-fundamentalists, both Jews, Christians and Muslims in the east of France. And I was living in this area at the time. And I saw the same people that I had been filming for months living you know uh, around me in the in the arrondissement and I and you could from one street to another see Hasidic Jews coming outside of a very big yeah, Jew, Jewish school you know and the next street 
a group of Salafi Muslims who is like one tall guy, tall black guy, preaching the others, telling them that, oh, before the Christians and the Jews, they understand, understood the truth. They were, you know, flocking to, they were, they were wow. going to the prophet, etc. And and this is, this I saw with my with own, your own eyes. eyes. And so also because I'm a documentary filmmaker, I like to get my inspiration from reality. And then I turned this into a novel. Uh, so it became a crime novel because there was this crime at the beginning and, and they had to understand why. And so they are going to investigate both communities, Jewish community, Muslim community. And I'm not going to tell you what happens. No, absolutely not. We don't want to spoil uh, the, the movie, but but the uh, the novel. Not a movie yet. But, uh, uh, well, I keep saying that was actually going to be my question if there were inshallah, any plans. Inshallah, one day. <laughs> would you be open to... Uh, oh, yes, a, yes, I would. It but sounds like it would actually work as a film as well it would it would but you know if any listener in Hollywood wants uh, to buy the rights know. you never know in Hollywood <laughs> or in uh, the Arab world as well since yeah. we've any listeners no but Karim the, the book when when it was published in France um, you know uh, sold well in France yeah. and then uh, the English translation came mm-hmm. how has the book been received by English readers or you know people who speak English uh, it has very well been received and uh, well because I think uh, they like the story it's been translated into nine languages actually wow, including Turkish Polish Danish wow, uh, wow. Dutch uh, well, etc uh, wow that's amazing <laughs> it's, that, it's, uh, it's an indication of how popular this book became yeah. for it to be and so and, and Arabic to come I keep saying dropping hints hopefully yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but yes please in terms of, of the uh, reaction you well, got maybe in the US or in England where it, the book was available in the English first, the first reaction in the UK because it's been published in the UK in uh, 2015 and the US in 2016 in the UK it was strange because it was published right after uh, the attack on Charlie Hebdo oh wow One month after. Oh my gosh! Yeah, what and an interesting time to publish the English version. Yeah, and it was well. Of course, it was not on purpose. You know, it it was supposed to be published at that time. But he, and for me, it was. I had a strange feeling, you know, because you don't want to 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 have this kind of publicity. Right. Uh, it was, uh, and I was interviewed by a, a journalist uh, from the Independent, so a big English newspaper, and I told him something that that was true. Uh, it's that there was there were no jihadist in the in the in the novel but it's more like drug trafficking etc mm. but there is a, a small group of salafi muslims who play an important part in the novel and i i, I got my inspiration from people who a, a small group of salafis in exactly this arrondissement at that time who sent uh, some uh, young parisian guys to iraq to fight there and who died like in fallujah and such places mm. And for me, it struck me at that time. You know, I was writing already the novel and I read this. I read because there was a, a trial. So I read everything in, uh, about the trial. And I read that the judge had been asking uh, the self-proclaimed imam, who was also a young guy, who sent them there. And and the judge asked him, but why didn't you go yourself? And he said, no, that's not what God wanted from me. And I said, wow, this guy... A very selective God. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, he reminded me of the main character of The Night of the Hunter. You know, a classical uh, movie from the 60, from the 50s uh, with a wicked uh, pastor who does some horrible things and uh, take his justification in religion. So I said, wow, 
this is interesting. So I got my inspiration from this. And then the book was already published in France when the Charlie Hebdo attack occurred. And who did that? The Kouachi brothers were members of that group. So it was like reality going, coming back, you know, striking back in a way. And it was really strange. And, and the title of, of the article of The Independent was Charlie Hebdo, The Thriller. And so the book uh, is now available in English for, it is. for our readers here. And I'm sure we can find it on Amazon and Kindle. And, mm -hmm. uh, and guess where I'm going after this interview. <laughs> uh, so in the last part of this interview, Karim, I would love to discuss a little bit about your own background your own upbringing because I think it informs a lot of your writing but it also helps our listeners understand how identity works for you um, you know when people hear you've done a three part series on Al Jazeera about uh, you know the Muslims of France and so such a, a well thought out show that doesn't attempt to demonize but doesn't attempt to glorify mm -hmm. People might assume immediately that, well, Karim Miski uh, sounds uh, like a Muslim name, um, but you're not necessarily identifying as a Muslim. No. How do you sort of reconcile all that and perhaps begin, Karim, mm -hmm. by telling us about, you know, your background and where your um, your father was from, etc.? And yes. Mother. So, yeah, my father was from Mauritania uh, and my mother French. Uh, so, and it was, I was born in 1964. So at that time, you know, uh, biracial uh, kids, as you name them yeah. here yeah. in France, we say more Métis, with, which, well, of course, for the Arabs, it's not exactly this word that is used. There is no real world, actually. <laughs> it's like in limbo, you know. <laughs> we need to create a term, by the way. It's high time. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah. it's really an interesting question because, because, uh, because this question of uh, whether the Arabs identify themselves as black or no, as white, sorry, or, white, or, white or, or, not right. or, or no, is really, is really an issue. And at some, uh, uh, there was a time in France where the racist French called North Africans the Greys, mm. you know, uh, Black and white. yeah. So like we don't know really what they are. It's uh, well, so. But, but you were born uh, in the sixties. Yeah, you know, or let's say a biracial kid in the sixties. That right there must have begun your journey into wanting to explore more both sides of your identity, if not more than two. Yes. So at the beginning, it was not easy for me to identify. I, I, I've never really identified as a, an Arab because also my parents were separated. I grew up with my mother and the white French post-Christian family of my mother in France in France uh, and my mother was a leftist uh, an atheist and a feminist uh, so uh, that was you know the world I was growing up into then and my father was a political exile so we could not go back to Mauritania mm. so the first time I could go to Mauritania was uh, when I was 15 in 1979 wow with your father uh, not really actually because because he was always doing something different so he sent me to the family wow. <laughs> uh, wow. and I, I, I arrived there and it was like landing on another planet you know like 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 uh, you know uh, in a way I could identify with a Superman not for the superpowers <laughs> but like you know coming from another planet and landing on it yeah. and then the, the day you meet them you say oh okay yeah it's my family but we're really different you yeah. know and and i had to deal with it and i think it was at that moment that i began really to think about identity 
But then it was quite difficult. I was a Parisian teenager. I just wanted to have fun, chase girls, uh, smoke joints, <laughs> go to parties. That was what inter- what was interesting for me. Right. Uh, you know, I was uh, really in the in the in the in the time of punk rock, etc., reggae, uh, and uh, and my identity was more into yeah music and partying and also politics, uh, but in a fun way, not in the serious way of my mother. And then I went to study in uh, in Africa. I went to study in Dakar, in Senegal, as a Mauritanian, uh, which was also a very important experience in my life uh, because I learned to see things uh, not from the West, but from the South. And then when I came back to France and I began working first for the radio, Radio France International, and then for TV, and and, and, and I began very quickly to make documentaries, I, I, I tried to reconcile all this, you know, way of uh, seeing the world and, and reality because because I had all this access, all these connections. And even though I don't identify myself as a Muslim, I know that it's my heritage. I have half-sisters in Mauritania who are very dear to my heart and who are practicing Muslims. Wow. And I don't see them as alien we 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 you know we are the same right. so yeah i don't i don't see that uh, these differences are impossible to to um, uh come to overcome because do you think the fact that your father comes from a muslim family and from a muslim tradition perhaps enabled you to do these documentaries with a special uh, point of view and also perhaps made the people you interviewed feel a little more comfortable that this is being di- uh, you know of course. Uh, directed and produced mm-hmm. by a uh, you know a Mauritanian muslim sounding name yes i think so because uh, because also i could i could uh, i mean it's about empathy so i can i, I could feel because also it was about the Muslims of France. So, okay, I say I don't identify myself as a Muslim, but I am identified as a Muslim right. by the French and by the Arabs and the Africans, like because of my appearance, appearance because of my name, etc. So I, I had to accept, uh, you know, this, the, uh, and and it was also uh, I've been writing a book about this, about identity, which is called N'appartenir, which means unbelonging. This one has not been translated into English, but it's really about. You know, be accepting your heritage, accepting how the way people perceive you, uh, but staying yourself or trying to find who you are. Right. Wow. Amazing conversation <laughs> I'm having here with Karim. I, I've never felt so thrilled and so hungry for more as when I speak with you. I hope that in this, uh, well, relatively short interview, Karim, we have managed to convey to our listeners some of your important work. And if there is one thing I'd like to insert, it is the fact that this documentary, this three part documentary couldn't have come at a better time and the fact that it's available in English and available in Arabic is priceless we really are in need of having these people speak for themselves mm. and you have allowed that to happen and through the linguistic connections and technology and, and Al Jazeera and French TV uh, the idea I hope is to get it also screened on American TV, at least on you know public radio. Uh, you are open to that. Oh yes, I am. But it's very difficult for French productions to be to be sold to to PBS. Uh, they have a way, you know, of uh, making their films, which is a little bit different. And also, maybe they're more like American centered. 
Hmm. You know that win can be in Europe. I think so. at least what I know is yeah. that uh, the films I've made have been sold in many, many countries, including Australia, Korea, but Finland, not, but, not but never Europe. in the US. Well, perhaps <laughs> it's time to change that. And I want to put a call out because we have a lot of NPR people who listen to mm -hmm. KZSU. And, and certainly I have seen the documentary. It is such high quality. It is so relevant. And I think it is ready for screening uh, to American audiences. I would love that. In the meantime, <laughs> And we do have the internet and where, where can people are, is it available yet commercially or uh, well unfor know? unfortunately uh, until now uh, there is no commercial English or Arabic version but I have to talk to the produ production company to see if it is possible to do something about this but it's available in French it's available in French in DVD and I think on pay-per-view wow so people can actually buy purchase the the, the French uh, DVD commercially. yes normally they can yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. On, well, uh, on the website of uh, either the pro production company or, or France Télévision, which was the broadcaster. But you, you, you just type Musulmans de France. No. Uh, which translates as Muslims of France. Yeah. Muslimu Faransa. Uh -huh. uh, but ideally, you know, the, a DVD with, you know, audio options so people can switch and, and, and have the, the Arabic, yeah. English and French. I think, Karim, you deserve that as in terms of your, I don't know, the crown of all of your... Uh, I think this documentary that has managed to educate us so much uh, and by us I can say Americans and I can say Arab Americans and I can say Muslim Americans but here in the US we, we really need it to watch something like this and we appreciate the time, the effort and the research that you put into this documentary while keeping it a documentary that functions with a heart. <laughs> There was such a, an affinity we felt to the people that you spoke with and for that Karim we thank you and we wish you continuous success as you continue to defy the norms, continue to educate, and continue to remind us about the fluidity of identity. Thank you. Shukran, Habibi. <laughs> Shukran. I, I should say, give you a chance to say salamu alaikum to everybody. Assalamu alaikum, ya Karim. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. What beautiful Arabic. I think we're going to have you speaking Arabic, young man, very quickly. Inshallah. <laughs> Thank you so much for being thank at you. Stanford. Habibi, thank you for coming to the Arabology Show. And for everybody out there at KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM, don't go anywhere. We will be right back.